Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. I'm delighted to be with you this morning, and I invite your attention to the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read verses uh, oh, about 2 through 9 or so, and then 16 to 19. When I think about doubt and the struggle of faith and uh, the questions that arise often in our lives, even as faithful followers of Jesus, um, this is the passage that just speaks to me most clearly. When John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, and in the Greek what this says is what, when John heard of the works or the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and asked Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Are you the coming one, or should we be waiting for somebody else? Jesus answered John's disciples, Go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then I think a kind of P.S. to John and blessed or happy is the one who takes no offense at me or, or who stumbles over me. Now, as these disciples went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. And then a little bit later, as he continues to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist, Jesus says, But what will I compare this generation, you folks, to? Um, it's like you're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say of him, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say of him, look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And we pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide in these moments together. In Christ's holy name. And all of God's people shall say, Amen. Amen. Whenever I read this passage, or hear it read, I inevitably, inevitably go back to an experience during my senior year in college. Uh, the first time I'm quite sure I ever heard this passage actually preached on. And it's not one that gets a lot of preaching attention because after all, it's a, it's a passage about John the Baptist having doubts. 
And that seems kind of weird. I mean, this is John the Baptist sending this question to his, this, uh, through his disciples to Jesus. Hey, are you the one who is to come or should we be actually looking for somebody else? I heard this preached during my senior year of college, early in that senior year. But in order to appreciate that, I have to tell you a little bit about my junior year. Um, I was uh, in a school on the quarter system and in the fall of my junior year, I'd taken psychology of religion. In the winter quarter, I took sociology of religion. And in the spring quarter, I took philosophy of religion. In other words, I'd had religion, religious beliefs, religious practices, including my own, pretty much turned inside out, upside down, analyzed from every direction. And uh, very often, I felt pretty vulnerable to doubt to the questions that all of this academic study and analysis had prompted. And of course, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, and college life already is supposed to be a time of exploration and asking of questions. But this had been in a very intense sequence of courses for me during my junior year. So here I come back for my senior year of college, a philosophy major. and. Um, um, a bit unsure of myself and of my faith. And I'm actually kind of surprised when I look back that I went to church that early Sunday morning. I, not to say I didn't go some, but the, I didn't usually even go to this particular church, which was College Church of the Nazarene, Nampa, Idaho, near Boise, in case you're wondering where that is. And I went to church that Sunday morning and heard a sermon on John the Baptist from Matthew chapter 11, and I found it liberating. Uh, the pastor was a man named Clary Kinsler, and he spoke about the doubts that John the Baptist experienced in his prison cell, and that he was willing to air those doubts, to actually voice them, and send this question through his disciples to Jesus. Are you the coming one, or should we be looking for somebody else? And in this sermon, about which the details I don't remember much, but I do know this, it, I felt liberated. I felt like Pastor Kinsler had opened up some space for me to legitimately experience my questions and to feel my doubts in a way that I'd never known I could have permission for, especially in church. Well, so that evening, it just so happened that this pastor was hosting a, an event for college students uh, with his wife at their home, inviting college students to come and, you know, share in a, I think it was a backyard, you know, barbecue thing. Um, and I went, and that also was unusual. I, I didn't necessarily usually go to these kind of functions. My guess is that the free food sounded like a good, good deal for one. But the other thing was, I know that I had been sufficiently um, sort of inspired and moved by this sermon that I wanted an opportunity to talk to the pastor. And I got my chance. I still remember standing there in his backyard and saying, uh, you know, and he didn't know me really. I, I'm sure I introduced myself to him and said, uh, Pastor Kinsler, I really, really appreciated your sermon this morning on John the Baptist and his, and his question, you know, voiced from prison. It just, I, I said something like it really liberated me to feel like it's okay to ask questions. And I got to tell you, his response to me was kind of disappointing. I, that, and it's the only reason I remember it, I'm sure. 
um, he said something to the effect of, well, Mike, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure he said something like, that's great. But then he went on to say, but you know, you're different from John the Baptist. Well, that was obvious. Yes, I'm not, I'm no John the Baptist. But he went on to say, you're different because you know Jesus. Uh, you've invited Christ in your heart and life, and you have the Holy Spirit living within you. So it was sort of like, it just felt like he was like taking all this permission to doubt and to struggle and to question, kind of minimizing it, almost like pulling the rug out from underneath my feet. And I, I say that not, you know, I mean, it was just, that whole experience is both this cool thing and then this sort of let down, like, yeah, you really shouldn't question that much. Well, that senior year, I stumbled across um, a set of sermons, printed sermons, by a man named Paul Tillich. I'm telling you a lot of my own life story this morning, I'm sorry. Uh, Paul Tillich was a, uh, um, a Lutheran, or at least loosely Lutheran theologian, died in 1965, but one of the great thinkers, really Christian thinkers of the 20th century. And he'd been dead for about a decade when I came across these sermons. Here's the thing. I read Tillich's sermons and I discovered a theologian who kind of built on the foundation of this sermon I had heard. Because basically Tillich said, you know what? Authentic faith always includes an element of doubt. If it's real serious faith, then doubt is always a part or an aspect of it. There's a risk in venturing out in faith that it's not simply a blind leap, but there's still this sort of a risk that's involved because we don't have absolute certainty. And um, Tillich helped me. It was very reassuring. I felt like, okay, what I had experienced in that sermon that morning and John the Baptist's own questions, it, they made more sense. Because, you know, John the Baptist, my goodness, here's a guy, I'm going to say again, who had baptized Jesus. And we read in the Gospel of Matthew that as Jesus came up out of the water, there was a voice from the heavens. It's not entirely clear that everybody else heard it, but, I mean, the voice said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Pay attention to him. Um, and you kind of go, well, that sounds like the sort of thing that's addressed to more than just Jesus. So presumably, John shared at least somewhat in Jesus' rather transformative mountaintop experience in his baptism. Um, he'd even said, I shouldn't baptize you, you should baptize me. You know, I mean, this is a pretty big moment. And yet here we find probably within a year or two at the most that John now is wrestling with doubts. And one of the things that says to me is, you know, you can have a profound religious experience. Um, I, I'm not one to, to say I've had a whole lot, but, you know, I can look back and say there have been really significant moments in my life when I felt very powerfully the presence of God. But, you know, as time goes on, those experiences kind of dissipate. You look back and maybe you interpret it differently or wonder what that was really about. And I don't know exactly what's going on with John other than what Matthew tells us, which is that as John heard about the deeds of Messiah, he actually wondered, 
Are you the Messiah, really? So there was something about what Jesus was doing that raised a question for John. That's pretty amazing. Because Jesus replies with his deeds. And that's heavy. You know, if you go back and look in the Gospel of Matthew right preceding this little interchange, it's pretty clear that the deeds of the Messiah are the ones that Matthew's been talking about. John cannot have heard about some other deeds than those. It's the very things that Jesus was doing that raised the question, and Jesus replies with the deeds that he's doing. It kind of feels like a little salt rubbed in a wound. And then Jesus adds this little intriguing P.S. And blessed is the person who does not stumble over me, who does not take offense at what I'm doing because they expected something else. And it's really amazing given that Matthew tells us that their message, their, their proclamation was the same. Before John even baptized Jesus, Matthew tells us that John was going out preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's And then, after Jesus is baptized and goes out preaching, Matthew says, and here was Jesus' message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Same message. So you got to have to wonder a little, did John have something different in mind when he said kingdom of heaven than what Jesus had in mind when he said kingdom of heaven. In any case, I love the fact that John was willing to voice his question. And it's kind of refreshing, too, that he didn't just sit in his cell. And by the way, Matthew doesn't say, well, John was depressed because he's languishing in a prison cell. Maybe he was, but that's not what raised the question. It was precisely what Jesus was doing. And John went straight to the person. He sent two disciples to ask, are you the one that we've been expecting or should we be looking for somebody else? You know, when I uh, graduated from college and I went on to seminary, I read more of this same fellow, Paul Tillich, and uh, read one of his books that really, I mean, I've loved a lot of his stuff, but he wrote a book called Dynamics of Faith. And I want to share with you just a little of what Tillich wrote in this book as we think about John the Baptist's own questions from that prison cell. Because Tillich invites us to think of faith as a kind of risk. Because, and I quote him now, doubt is a necessary element in faith. And you might wonder, why is that the case? Wouldn't it be the more faith, the less doubt? Well, remember the Apostle Paul. Not, now, not, not Paul Tillich now, but the Apostle Paul. Who wrote that we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I don't know about you, but I like walking by sight. I like to be able to see where my next steps are. Walking by faith, Paul says, is not the same thing as being able to see the whole road. You take one step at a time, and there's maybe an element of risk in each step. Paul also said that in this life, we see as in a glass, darkly. Now, that's kind of an odd image, but I think we get the idea. It sounds like he's saying we don't see with clarity, 
and, uh, but rather with a kind of blurriness, with ambiguity. I might be wrong about a lot of things, as uh, Howard Thurman anticipated as we pray for the next year, to know that we might get some things wrong. That's okay. Um, back to the other Paul, Paul Tillich, the loosely Lutheran one, he wrote in The Dynamics of Faith, the doubt which accompanies every act of faith is the doubt which accompanies every risk. There is no faith without an intrinsic in spite of and the courageous affirmation of oneself as grasped, grasped by the quest of God and the question of God. And I love how those words quest and question are obviously so deeply related. Till it continues, this insight into the structure or the relationship of faith and doubt is of tremendous practical importance. Because many Christians, as well as members of other religious groups, feel anxiety, guilt, and despair about what they call the loss of faith. But serious doubt is confirmation of faith. Because it's only when it's serious doubt, of course. You can have frivolous doubt. But a serious doubt arises out of a depth of faith and a desire for the truth. It indicates, Tillich said, the seriousness of the concern, its unconditional character. So Paul Tillich and the great Danish philosopher before him, Søren Kierkegaard, both had much greater admiration for those who were truly invested and passionate in their quest and in their questions than they were for those who never really bothered to doubt, who never really wondered or asked questions, but who instead just sort of lazily believed what they were told and taught. There's something about the risk of faith that calls us always onward into some pretty adventurous waters. Just recently, I had a Zoom conversation with a fellow in Arizona who had read um, uh, an earlier book of mine where I talk a little bit about this passage and John the Baptist doubt, and this fellow was not happy with my interpretation. And he let me know, which was good. We had a nice free interchange. He said, no, this was John the Baptist. There's no way. He said, I, it, what happened, it had to be that, or at least he was more humble. He said, my interpretation is, that John wanted to direct his followers to Jesus, so he sent them to Jesus with this question, but John didn't have any question about it, you know, and I thought, and I said to him, well, that's a nice interpretation. It sort of saves John the Baptist from this kind of risk of faith, but Matthew's gospel, the gospels tell us no such thing. They don't say John's real agenda was to get his disciples over there to Jesus. Matthew says, when John heard the works of Christ, he wondered if this was the guy that he thought he was. And the beauty is, I'll say one more time, he was willing to raise that question, to voice it to Jesus. 
And maybe the tragedy of it is that we don't know whether John ever even got this reply. Now, whether John would have been pacified by this reply is another question. But we're not told whether the disciples ever got back to John. For all we know, he got his head separated from his shoulders before he ever even got this answer. So I think back to my, my pastor friend, and who, a man who became a real mentor to me over the years, Pastor Kinsler. And I will suggest that there is a real difference between us here today and John the Baptist. Maybe not quite exactly the one that Pastor Kinsler outlined, but I want to suggest this to you. We don't know for sure whether John got that reply. We don't know whether for sure had he got that reply, he would have gone, oh, okay, it's all right now. Uh, we don't know for sure whether he would have been a bit troubled by Jesus saying, happy is the one who does not let their expectations about who I am get in the way of actually following who I am. Don't know. But I can tell you this, this morning, here's the reply that's offered to us. It's offered to us in the bread and the cup of communion. Whatever the state of your faith, however much doubt may be seeming to scream at you today, and maybe not at all, but wherever you are, the beauty is the grace of the cup and of the bread of Holy Communion is freely offered to us all. There is room at Jesus' table for us all. And I find that to be incredibly good news. I'll add one more thing real quickly, very quickly, Pastor Rob. In this same gospel, at the end, when the resurrected Jesus is standing amidst his disciples on the top of a mountain, Matthew tells us something you kind of wonder, why bother to tell us this? Matthew says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Like, why are you even wanting to... Why, why, why? You know, I think that's really good news. They worshipped him, but some doubted. And the beauty is, Jesus didn't say, okay, those of you who have doubts, clear out. I just want to talk to the true believers. Jesus addresses his whole company of disciples wherever their state of faith and doubt might be and says, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and preach the good news, teaching all people everything I have taught you. He gives that commission to them all. And today as we receive the Lord's Supper, we also, in the grace of God, receive that commission. Amen.